going with this and, and uh, there in Peter, for even here unto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Uh, let me pray with you this evening. Father, thank you for a good midweek crowd. Help us, Lord, to get much from your word. Help me not to waste a moment of the people's time. I appreciate them coming, and I pray that you'll bless them this evening for having done so. Amen. You may be seated, please, if you would. I want to speak to you just a few moments this evening on the subject of the suffering of Christ. Don't think in your mind that I'm going to try to paint a detailed picture of the crucifixion, that sort of thing. Certainly that it's appropriate to do that because the Bible does so. But that's not the direction I'm going tonight with it. Uh, but I do want us to put, I want to put us in mind of what a great, uh, what a great price and what a great love God's shown to, to us. What a great price He paid and what a great love He's shown to us in the sufferings of Christ. Also, it does us well to remember who the captain of our salvation is. That's one of the terms in the Bible. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about the captain of our salvation was made uh, perfect through sufferings. And uh, Christ is the captain of our salvation. You know, um, it's, it's a lot easier to follow someone you know has been through a few things. Uh, sometimes uh, somebody who's done something and they've been through a few things, sometimes it's easier to follow them, have allegiance towards them because you know they know what, what it's like. Um, it's interesting, I don't know if you know this or not, unless they've changed their uh, business model in the last just few years, but Waffle House, and uh, Brother Jay Weaver likes to call it the awful waffle. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's good. I, I like it. I like their hash browns, and uh, I, like them, I like them in the ring. And, uh, but uh, Waffle House, if you've driven a lot, you've, you're glad for Waffle House sometimes because they're open when other places aren't. And then White Castle that you wish weren't open when they are sometimes. Right? It can be bad, you know. Um, but the Waffle House, I was talking to the owners of uh, the owner of the one here in town and talking to him about how you go into Waffle House or buy into. I've talked to the owners of several different Chick-fil-A's franchises in, in different states, actually. It's always interesting people to talk to. And... Um, you can buy into Chick-fil-A. You can buy one. you got to have a little bit of cash in your pocket to do it. But you can buy into Chick-fil-A, and uh, uh, you can get one of those. And, and they're stringent about who they give a franchise to. They also limit the number that can be opened up each year. They also are very careful about logistics, making sure that their stores can all be serviced well. But with Waffle House, at least in a matter of less than five years ago, when I talked to the one man here in town. He said that uh, part of what happened is, he said, if you're going to own a Waffle House, you have to have worked your way through the Waffle House. You can't just come in outside and buy one. You, he said part of their business model, and again, if that's changed recently, I'm not aware of it. You know, I don't keep up on such things. But when I was talking to him that one evening, I thought it was very interesting. He said that you uh, had to go through because they wanted, if you were an owner, they wanted you to have done everything that had to be done with that business. Pretty neat model. Pretty neat business model. But when we think about the sufferings of Christ, you know, um, it, it's, it's a lot easier for us to stay faithful in following Christ in this world when we face the sufferings that come in this world. And when we face some of the, thing, some of the sufferings even that are peculiar to Christians, I mean, the unsaved world and, and we suffer some of the same things. It's just, you know economic downturn it affects everybody in it you know uh there's you know a big storm comes through and knocks a bunch of houses down stuff you know saved and unsaved all lose property and stuff we all face deaths in our family uh, it's appointed unto man wants to die 
after this is judgment. So we all face that. We all know what it's like to have heartache. I mean, there's some common things, common humanity, saved or unsaved. There are certain uh, battles and temptations that come to Christians which are not there for unsaved people. Uh, and part of that is the fact when we got saved, there's a new one of us born inside. And uh, if, if you have a salvation, and I put that in quotes on purpose, if you have a salvation that never makes a difference in your life, then what you are lacking is biblical salvation. Because real salvation works in our lives. You say, to what extent? I'm not going to get into all the nuances of that. And I know that saved people can do some very, very carnal things. I know that from the Scripture. I know that because uh, life shows what the Scripture teaches on that. But I'm going to tell you, there's a presence of, of God when someone actually knows the Lord that's different than if they're just religious. And what ends up happening is, whenever Christ actually is born in us, when we're born again, then there's a battle that goes on. And that battle is there. And so there are things that we face. Now, when we go through these things, God wants, to, wants us to be strengthened by Him and He wants us to be profited and profitable by Him. And so part of that is being able to look at Christ and realize what He's been through. In other words, the one we're following... Jesus, neither in appearance nor in life, bears any resemblance to the so-called pictures of what Jesus is supposed to look at. Never trust a, a, a you know, 13th, 14th century sodomite artist to draw a true picture of what Christ looked like. I'll give you one clue for sure. Jesus wasn't a six foot two white guy. Which is what he's usually depicted as. But it shows him in a, in a way that makes you think that he had never you know, been through anything in real life. And that's, that's not the way it is. And not the way it is at all. He's, he's been through some things. So I just had some quick thoughts and I wanted to give them to you about the sufferings of Christ. And I was thinking through them. I'm not going to turn you to a lot of different scriptures. In a little bit, we'll be going to a couple other passages. Uh, you want to keep, keep your place here in Peter. But um, I thought about these. You think about some of the things Christ suffered. He suffered separation. He suffered separation. Separation was a tough thing to take. Um, he, he was separated from the glories of heaven. That's the first thing. What did He do? He came down from glory to be here on this earth. Imagine what a difference that would be. Um, I've watched people's reaction the first time if, if they've only grown up in smaller towns in a rural area. I've seen them. <laughs> My wife smiled at that. She says, yes, that's what I like. And I do too. But it's been interesting, and we've seen it, and I have remembrance of this, even when we've been on teen trips before, first time you take uh, someone who's never been into anything of major size into Chicago and just some of these areas, and then you go into a rougher area of some of these cities. And the reaction, the first time they see that. It's pretty amazing. It's like, People really live like this. It's just foreign to them. It's not foreign to the people who live there, but it's foreign to the people who've never seen it before. Can you imagine what the dis distinction between coming from the place of glory and light to this world? So there was a separation. In fact, more than once Christ mentioned about the glory that He had with the Father before the world began. And that He uh, longed to be together again. And we see the starkest point of that separation. Uh, by the way, let me, let me put this in here. Um, do you realize that in the early stages of Christ's ministry, when He began to show Himself who He was, that His brothers did not believe on Him? Check, I'm not that up. It's in the Scripture. 
At first, he, wouldn't go, he wasn't going up to Jerusalem with them. And they said, how can you expect to be known if you don't show yourself? I'm paraphrasing a little there. It says, for at that time, neither did they believe on him. The Bible says the prophet's not without honor except in his own country. And so what happened was, now later they did. But initially, they didn't. I mean, they had to know something was different about him, but that was their half-brother. Mary and Joseph were, were their parents. And Mary was his mother, but his father is God. They, it, it's a different thing. And, uh, and so there was, there was a separation there, even with his family at time where it wasn't under, he wasn't understood. And then the, the, the starkest point of that separation was on the cross, of course. And you know, when you had that darkness came, you remember what Jesus said then? My God, I believe it's the only time, and if I'm incorrect on that, you can show me, uh, and that's not a challenge, I just I believe, and I've never seen different, I believe that's the only time that Jesus refers to the Father as my God instead of Father. My God, my God. Why hast thou up? Forsaken me. So did he forsake him? No, he hadn't, but he felt that, that separation. He stepped into that role and felt that. That separation, that alienation, that the isolation that comes with that is a, is a mighty, mighty powerful emotion. I want you to understand, our, our, our Savior has suffered that. He suffered that. So one is separation. Second thing I put down, the sufferings of Christ, he suffered humiliation. He was made a mockery on the cross. He was mocked many times before that. He was lied about. He was scorned. He would do good and they would return to him mockings and just terrible treatment. What happened? His humiliation, he was brought to a point where he was spat upon. Ever had somebody trying to spit on you? I've experienced that. I said, did they get you? I dodged fast, literally. And it had to do with just being a witness for Christ. But that, uh, that's, that's a very nasty thing. Uh, humiliation. Uh, he, was, he was mocked. They, they put a bag over him, hit him, and said, Prophet, tell, tell us who smote thee to be a prophet. And they hit him. Hung him up there in an exposed and disgraceful way in front of everybody. You know, there was a lot of humiliation. And uh, I find that sometimes God's people have a little less endurance for that than, than a lot of other things. They don't want to stand out for Christ. They don't want to be different. I'm not talking about different because of some kind of thing that tries to draw attention to yourself. I'm just talking about different. Many a, many a Christian person has chuckled at something that inside they didn't think was funny because they didn't want to stand out as the one person who didn't go along with that. More than one Christian person has went to somewhere where they know inside that it shouldn't, a place where they really shouldn't be going because they didn't want to be the one to say, no, I don't want to do that. This is such a strong thing to all of us. It's such a strong thing to people that the Bible in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, when it talks about the different ones who kept the faith but went through different types of things like being sawn asunder and wandering in sheepskins and goatskins, 
in that list, not saying it's as painful to do it, but in that list of things that people have endured, cruel mockings. They were outcast. They were not received. And uh, in a world where um, perversion is considered to be acceptable, where they think that the woman's figure is made to be flaunted, where all these things are predominant, when someone sets herself to actually live for God and live in a way that's wholesome and right and clean, uh, there's going to be differences, but a lot of people just don't won't, won't hold up to that. I'm not talking about you have to run around the workplace and correct everybody who says something, but I'm just talking about you, people end up going along with things. Do you know when you go through those times or when, when you get put on the spot for what you believe, you can be assured Christ suffered that. And He went through it, so we know He did. He suffered physical pain. And, uh, of course... Sometimes that's the part that gets emphasized the most and certainly and that's a strong thing. But he felt the pain of hunger. He felt the pain of exhaustion. You know, when he met the woman at the well, he had stopped because he was so tired that he needed a place to rest. He felt physical pain. And he didn't fight the Roman soldiers when they crucified him. And he had told Pilate very bluntly, he told Pilate, Pilate said to him, he was questioning Christ, Christ wouldn't answer him. And then Pilate got aggravated at that. And he said, the answers mean nothing. He said, Dost thou not know I have power to kill me, spare thee? And so Jesus said to him, He said, You have no power at all except to be given to you. <laughs> Another point, when Pilate asked him if he was a king, he said, If I was a king, then my servants would fight. He said, Another time he could call their angels from heaven down. But chose not to. And in the Old Testament, you have one angel showed up and took out 185,000 people in one night. Probably wouldn't take a large squadron and then pretty well decimate the troops, you know what I mean? But he didn't. He didn't fight it. He wasn't screaming and yelling and dragged to the cross. They didn't have to wrestle his hand down to drive the spike in. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to drive something through my hand. There's there's certain things that don't bother me. Something like that, something going through my foot. It's just something I cannot hardly even stand. Thought of that. And uh, yet he, he subjected himself to that. Why? Because he went through physical pain. We don't ever like to see somebody going through physical pain, you know, hurting, the body hurting. I'd love it if Steve wasn't in the hospital tonight and facing the uncertainty with things, asking God to bring some healing to him. But this physical pain, Christ has been through it. He knows what it's like. And he knows, and he stepped into it. Why? Because it's a human thing. Very much. I watched my mom suffer for years with the pain that be debilitating that that should have just been completely debilitating at times some of you have been around here a long time remember mrs walston and her uh, arthritis got so bad i remember her little fingers just being completely over and her toes would be completely over and the joints completely destroyed from that arthritis i remember that the pain that went along with that the we live in a, in a world that has physical pain. Christ suffered that. Then He suffered hunger. He knew what that was like. 
And by the way, <laughs> for many of us in America, hunger equals we didn't get food as fast as we want. But this is real hunger. Brother Biz told us when we were in Haiti, he said, Brother Mounting, there's a saying. He said, the saying here is the rich man eats when he wants to, the poor man eats when he can. And he had people in his church, they would get up in the morning, they'd get a little something together they could barter or trade with, and they'd go trade and get something else, and they'd go do something else. And partway through the day, they may have gotten a double handful of rice somewhere and tried to bring that and then eat that. And they'd spend all that time and energy just to get like that. Christ suffered it. Suffered that kind of hunger. He said, yeah, I've been real hungry before, but I'm talking about the kind of hunger that just stays. Remember 40 days he fasted. By the way, you ever, you ever read about that and realize the devil didn't just show up on day 40? Read what the text says. He was tempted of Satan 40 days. He was tempted in the wilderness 40 days. And then what happened? Then Satan turned it up. That's when you have the big confrontation. Come on, and the three major temptations there that, that match the three aspects that temptation always follows. And, and what happened though? 40 days. I've known just a handful of people in my life who've done a 40 day fast. I don't know if I can do that, do yeah? I've got the reserve to do it. I wouldn't whittle away to nothing in 40 days. But, uh, talking about the men who did it, and he had had a brother who did that and just felt that he ought to do it. And ended up killing himself with it. He got done eating 40 day fast and made a big old meal. And he, he messed him up so bad. He'll come off of 40 days not eating and go ready to eat a half pound of you know, steak and half day that man. Your body's a pump. First, you just wave at that steak. Then <laughs> you shake hands with it. And you take a little lick on it. And then you work your way in. Uh, he suffered that. Here's another thing. You know there was a time period that wasn't the entire time he was on the earth by any means and even wasn't, it wasn't the entire time that he, his public ministry was going on. But uh, at one point Jesus said the birds have nests and the foxes have holes but the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. He knows what it's like to be homeless. The Bible teaches that he went through a time period. It wasn't just one day where he did not have a certain resting place, where he did not have a certain place of refuge in this world. He knows what that's like. And uh, knows the peculiarities and the, the, the things that come with that. The sufferings of Christ. I'm talking about the one we follow. You say, oh, I don't follow Jesus. And, you know, really, seriously. And, and, and I wasn't just making a sideways hit at what affects people's mind. What they see, the way things are drawn, what they've been exposed to over and over again. Uh, the figures you've seen in religious drawings. You've been in churches with stained glass. We're a church with stained carpet um, at times. <laughs> Owing to the, uh, the close relationship between Baptist people and coffee. <laughs> and the distant relationship between Baptist people and coordination. But the stained glass, you go in, you see the figures in there. Like I said, they, they don't match reality. You see him and it gives you an idea of this little, you know, hidden away, kind of a feet sort of life. And it does not match at all what Christ went through. 
it's it's amazing. There have been times when uh, when men have been somewhat resistant to the gospel and thought said that's for women and children. And yet there's nothing more truly manly, which is not the same as macho, which is... <laughs> anyway. But the manly, true manhood following Christ. You find it when someone knows truth and will stand for truth regardless of the pressure that comes from without or within. Because not all the pressure comes from without. Some of it comes from within. In form of doubts, in the form of uh, uh, insecurities, in the, all these things. And so what happens, Jesus, he, he, he knew what these things were like. We can follow Him. I remember back before I got saved, I told you about I was under conviction and I dragged my bike up to the little church there, little United Brethren Church in Gratis, Ohio. And the little pastor that was there, he'd get up and give us a little talk. And uh, never give the gospel. In fact, he wasn't even saved. I went back to lead him to Christ later. He did a bit more to the Lord than anything. And he, his own profession, he had religion. He said, uh, he said I'm a preacher because I have the gift of gab. That's what he told me. And I got there and, man, went to another one. There was United Methodist. Went to that. Same thing. I, I don't know. I must say four or five different churches I go in. And I finally get to where I actually received the Lord. They're at the Northside Chapel, First Church of God. And there stands up a thin, young preacher. Wiry. And he opens the Bible and he begins to preach. And when he preached, he wasn't doing what the first guy did. The first guy was doing this, all this stuff. People have different ways they stand. But he was delivering a lecture. And it was very obvious. One of the jaybirds I got under and heard... He did, he'd do, you know, your, your home church area, they would do this later on after the other churches. Good morning, people of God. I am so glad that you came today. And we are glad to be in the house of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Yeah. <laughs> well, I heard that guy, and I'm like, as the old preacher said, something done gone wrong in the field. I mean, I don't know what's wrong with that. But when I saw a fellow get up and preach the Bible and talk in language you could understand and wasn't afraid to look at people while I was preaching and talked about a place that was real called heaven, talked about hell that had fire, talked about Christ who can save us. You know what happened? Not only did God use that, the Holy Spirit used that to bring me to that point of salvation, but I was able as a young man to say, that's what I can learn from. Why? You've been through a few things. You know when Brother Fred Hill would tell me something, I'd pay attention to him. Tition? Pay attention to him. Why? He'd been through things. Brother Monty Watts would talk, and listen, he'd been through things. The many pleasant conversations and days we spent with Dr. Evans, and he would he'd been through things. But Larry Smith, these men, what? They've been through some things. And you know what? It could say, I can follow their faith, and I can I, there's somebody who's been through some things. 
And our Savior's been through it. The sufferings of Christ, He entered into our sufferings. He's not a distant God off somewhere, but He has entered into our sufferings. And then what may have been the worst suffering for Him, perhaps, He felt the, felt the pain of betrayal. Someone trusted who turned on Him. That's a painful thing. I was thinking, I was thinking about that and it just came to my mind. I thought, you know, the <laughs> last three people I've had say to me, and then I'm glad that I said it for a while. Not really an expression. I, I like that one. Well, you may, I'm not against, the expression is not my issue here. It's not a moral issue with that. But last three fellas I had to say, I got your back. And <laughs> they did. They had a knife. Um, <laughs> Or they just bailed out, got my back, so my back was turned, they're gone. That's mild stuff. But some of you have been through stuff that hasn't been mild with it. You know what it's like to be betrayed. Have your have your cares betrayed, have trust betrayed. Any of you who suffered any type of abuse at the hands of those who should have loved and protected you, you were betrayed by the ones who should have watched out for you. It's a deep pain of the heart that, that the instances of that are multiplying and multiplying in our world. And by the way, they'll keep multiplying. Well, people are filling their hearts and minds with pornography and perversion of every type. Perversion of viewing many times leads to perversion in action. Yeah. You mark it down. And what happens? People have been betrayed. That's a deep one. You know, uh, Charles Michael wrote the song, it's our song, but no one ever cared for me like Jesus. I told you once what occasioned the writing of that song. It was the fact he was married and Charles Michael and he and his wife and they were in church regular and such. And he felt that God wanted him to go into the gospel ministry. And so he told his wife, he said, I believe God wanted me to preach and wanted me to go. And she said, I'm not going to be married to no preacher. She walked out on him when he said, I want to serve the Lord with my life. She didn't live a long time after that. But there he was, left heartbroken to man. And in the midst of that dark time, the song, No One Ever Cares for Me Like Jesus, was born. Why? Because in the point of betrayal, he found comfort in the one who himself had been betrayed, but yet does not give up on us. Think about what Jesus said. I will never leave thee, nor what? Forsaken. He knows what it's like to be forsaken. At one point, he had all these people behind him, and he was teaching them, and they just left. I mean, the crowd just left. And he turned around and looked right at his, his disciples, and he said, will you also leave? Peter said, to whom will we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. But Jesus said with the certainty, the night He was betrayed by Judas, He had said to them, all of you, all of you shall leave me this night. Of course, Peter very boldly, arrogantly says, I won't. And he did. He said, no, Peter, you won't just leave me. He says, you'll deny me. And he did, emphatically. He said, I don't know of what thou speakest. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. And they said, they've been with him. Then he said, I don't know the man. And then he cursed and said he didn't know the man. And Jesus turned and looked at him. 
when he did that from the distance of it. He just turned and looked at him. Of course, Peter went out and wept bitterly at that point. But Jesus knew betrayal. He said, oh yeah, Judas betrayed him. Yes, he did. But you understand, all of them fled. He suffered these things. Now, let me give you a part of the message here that will help you. He suffered all these things, but He suffered them in certain ways. Let me give this to you. Watch me now. We're, we're staying with me here. Try to stay awake. I worked hard to get you fed tonight. He suffered purposefully. The Bible teaches that if we suffer because of our own wrongdoing, that there's no reward there's no thanks to that. There's no nothing beneficial. I'm a martyr for Jesus, you know. And you did something totally insane and goofy. No, you're you're a martyr to your own stupidity. But when we do well and suffer, and we do it right, then that's thankful. Um, he suffered purposefully. He he suffered, you say, what do you mean purposely? He had an end in view. Let me show you this. Look in Hebrews 12. I told you we go to a couple of verses. Look in Hebrews chapter 12. I understand I'm not doing a lot of things to keep your attention tonight except feed you good truth. So I long for you to have a have a strong appetite for. Hebrews 12. Familiar passage, but it, I want you to think about it in, in regards to suffering. And the fact that He suffered with an end in view. Look in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, look what He did, church. He endured the cross. That's, that's, that's a suffering. He endured the cross. Despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What happened... He, he, he suffered purposely. He had an end in view. We have to keep in our understanding. And we have to keep in the vision of our faith. We have to keep in the fact God wants to do something with us. God wants, is working in our life. And when we come into these trials and when we come into these temptations and things that come into our life, we've got to be purposeful in what we're doing in it and say, you know, God's purpose did not change. Brother Darren said to me the day after Miss Diane went to heaven, as we're back in that room over there, and I wondered what he was doing, and he was getting the things done he needed for that week for our services. And he said to me, he said, you know, if Jesus is worthy of serving when my wife was alive, he's worthy of serving when my wife did. And of course, at the funeral, he spoke on worthy as the lamb. That, that truth, that to have a purpose in the end of it. To stay true to God. It really takes all the fluff out of it and it will keep you and give you the ability to stand when hard things come. We're going to have misunderstandings. We're going to have hurts. Intentional and unintentional. But we've got to be able to, to know that, there's, that we stay purposeful in, in the suffering. Christ suffered purposefully. He suffered with a purpose. With an end in view. Second thing with that... Um, well, let me give you another with that. Look in 2 Corinthians 4 before I give you the second part of that. 2 Corinthians 4. I didn't want to neglect to give this to you. 
2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. Talking about suffering purposefully with an end in view. I love this verse. Verse 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. They're, they're, they're passing. They're temporary. But the things which are not seen are what, church? Eternal. They're eternal. So purposely, Jesus suffered purposely. He suffered with an end in view. And he, he looked at that. Then, let me say to you, that He suffered with principle. He did not abandon who He was at that time of greatest temptation, greatest struggle. Do you realize it would have been indescribably hard to talk while being crucified? I mean, come on, let's be serious. We smash our finger with a hammer, we can't talk for 10 minutes. And how many of you guys, guys, fellas, ladies, you can just tune out for a minute. Guys, I'm going to talk to you here because we've got good sense on this. How many of you have hurt yourself and had... Your caring wife or someone say, what'd you do? What'd you do to yourself? And you're busy hopping around making weird noises, right? <laughs> Has anybody ever got grumpy? Will you put us three questions? Yeah. I just crippled myself. Average man to be in the hospital. Of course, I just kept on going. Yeah. Do that, <laughs> you say, why do you say men do that? Because the women want you to know what they did that hurt. Yeah. Oh, wow. You all right? Yeah. Okay, good. Don't you care what I did? Don't ever answer that question. That's a loaded question. <laughs> you say, what do you do? Just say, what did you do? <laughs> and leave it at that. But there's principle. It would have been hard to talk, not only because of the severe physical pain, but also because of what was happening at the crucifixion. Because, as the Bible tells us in the Old Testament, and as it prophesied, that all the bones would be out of joint, the incredible pressure and what would have been happening as far as the pressure on the diaphragm, the capacity of the lungs to inflate, all that would have been happening, possibly introduction of fluid into these areas after the type of scourging that he had, and yet to try to talk and to be heard is an amazing thing. But while he's on the cross, he looks out and makes sure his mother is cared for. It would seem that Joseph must have passed by that time. Not been in the picture. Because Jesus is the oldest of Mary's children. By the way, she had other children after Jesus. She was a virgin when Christ was born. She had other children. She and Joseph had a natural family. Their names are given in the Bible. And so what happened was, as the oldest son, Jesus made sure she was cared for as he was dying. Wow. Principle. Principle. You know the Bible says, if any man care not for his own, he hath denied the faith, is worse than an infidel. Do you know that 
Christ not only spoke those things to his, about his mother and for her benefit, but he also looked at a dying thief who was placing his faith in Christ. You say, what do you mean faith? He was looking at him. Let me tell you where the faith came in. Because he said, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. With his physical eyes, the thief is watching him die. And yet he's speaking to him of a later time. He wasn't just seeing Christ with his eyes. He was also seeing with faith. You better believe. And by the way, people try to mess up some good Bible doctrine by, by, by discounting the conversion of the thief on the cross. He believed by faith that Jesus Christ was the, was the, the Savior. He believed by faith the resurrection. And he was fully saved by faith in Christ, just like anybody else did. What happened when he died there, when he was looking at him, Christ said words of comfort to the man beside him. He said words of truth to the man beside him. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So Jesus not only declared comfort to that thief, but he also declared victory over the temporary and the excruciating pain through which he was going at that time. Jesus was pointing ahead by principle. He was showing something. May God give us grace to suffer with principle. Not to get so hurting and so, so damaged by our own hurt that we withdraw within ourselves and forget the very reason why we were saved. The very reason why we belong to the Master. May we not become a useless vessel when our vessel is put into the fire and to the pressure. Christ has showed us how to do it. And He lives in us. Then he not only suffered purposefully, but he suffered patiently. That's different, isn't it? It's one thing to hurt for a little while and it to go away. But some of you in this room, you know what it's like to live constantly with physical pain, weakness, these things. And you know the emotion and the strain that it takes on you. You know how it's hard to feel sometimes close to God when the body feels so afflicted. See, you can't separate. Thank God one day they will be separated. This vessel, made of clay, will not going to inherit the kingdom. God will be changed the moment it's right and I. Some of you are long-term struggles. You can feel it. It feels like it's eroding your faith. It feels like it's knocking the wind out of you. You wonder where God is and it seems very dark. Well, Christ went through that and He suffered patiently. We read in the Scripture that we read initially in Peter that he, he, when he was reviled, he reviled not again, but he suffered patiently. It's very much our fleshly nature to strike out at that which hurts us. Um, there's a couple of places dangerous. I don't like the back of my hands hit at all. I don't like to have to barely like them touch. I wear my... I wear my Suit jacket sleeves a little shorter than what they're supposed to be. I do it just to reveal a cup. I like things touching the back of my hand. Just don't. My my wife knows that we hold hands, but there's a certain way if she touches back my hand too light, I'm just like that there. And you say why why is that? Because I'm weird. That's the only way I can describe. It. I don't know. It just is. Uh, thank God I don't have hairy hands. I won't be able to stand myself. But the uh, <laughs> but if somebody's does that or makes a loud noise, fat my first reaction. It scared me. Some of you have found out. <laughs> Fight, not flight. 
we have a physical and a flesh reaction, don't we? You know, it's the same way with suffering. It wears on us and we become less than patient. God has to give you special grace for that. There's not some magic formula. I can't tell you three steps to calm peace whenever you're hurting. Sorry, there's not some formula to put out there for you. Yeah, you have to have the presence of God giving you strength for that. And he went through that. He suffered patiently. He suffered painfully. And, and I've touched on it, so I won't go into detail, but he felt the fullness of it. In fact, what Jesus did not do, he took the vinegar in his mouth because he's supposed to taste the bitter, but he did not take that which would have been a sedative. Why? Because he was experiencing fully pain for us. Um, he, he suffered prayerfully before and during the suffering. Do you remember what Christ did when they went out to the garden? Two, two, several things happened, but two amazing things. Of course, that's the Garden of Gethsemane. As I've taught you, the word Gethsemane means a pressing place. A place of many olive trees and such. And the olives would be pressed and the olive oil would come out. The olives themselves are valuable, but the oil is extremely valuable in many applications. Often in the Bible, the oil of olive, as it's called at times in the Bible, is a picture of the Holy Spirit and His ministry in our lives. Gethsemane was called the pressing place, known for the fact that they would press the olives and the, the oil would come out. Christ would come there and the pressing would begin, so much so that His sweat would become drops of blood. And as that happened, as He was going through that, He prayed. Do you remember that? And he went and he prayed. And he came back and found his disciples asleep, feeling there the betrayal, the loneliness already. And then he prayed again. Went and prayed the same words. In very few words. And he was gone for an hour. Which means there was a lot of agonizing in there. Sometimes when we're praying, and we really get to praying, our chattering will slow down. And when he did this, he prayed as he went. He prayed while he was on the cross. He would get up early. The Bible talks about in uh, Mark 11, I believe, verse 3 or so. After a very, very busy day, and a busy evening the night before, rising up a great while before day, he went out into a mountain apart by himself and prayed, the Scripture says. He was a man of prayer throughout. So much so that his disciples came to teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. He didn't begin to pray when he saw the situation getting ready to happen. He continued in prayer. And he prayed throughout. I'm talking about the Bible says that we're to follow in His steps. Christ who suffered for us and we need to be people of prayer. If we're not people of prayer, we're not going to stand in the time of, of trouble. You need more than character to stand in the spiritual battle. You need more than just grit. Though, would to God we had more of that. As long as it's not accompanied by pride. You need more than just strong character. You need more than just a strong constitution. Because the best of character 
And the strongest in Constitution will not stand up to the spiritual battles. We need prayer. And he prayed. He went prayerfully. He prayed in prayer. I put this statement down. It both fortified and sustained him. The idea of being fortified is the idea of taking in nutrients that develop in you strength. But then it also sustained him. It's what kept him during that time when the pressure was put on. And then let me say to you, he prayed profitably. I turn you back to the book of Isaiah for this. Where he suffered profitably. I said he prayed. He did pray profitably. But he suffered profitably. Jesus suffered separation. He suffered humiliation. He suffered physical pain. He suffered hunger, homelessness, and betrayal. Through all these sufferings, He suffered purposefully. He suffered patiently, painfully. He suffered prayerfully. And He suffered profitably. Uh, Isaiah, in the Old Testament, you go to the, uh, the prophet Isaiah and uh, I'll join you there. I didn't turn that. And look, I didn't tell you what chapter today. Isaiah chapter 53. It helped if you knew what chapter. <laughs> Pick a chapter, they're all good. But I'm going to be in 53. And having water up here tonight. Don't go get me some now. It's too late. Just, just don't now. I'm almost done. You want a short sermon, that's the way to get her. I'm dry as a cotton ball in a sandstorm up here. Isaiah, brother, brother Brown says I'd have to be primed to spit. Amen. Um, Isaiah 53, look in verse 10. He suffered profitably. Now going through something isn't so bad if it accomplishes. And standing and having done all stand does much. Even if you don't get to see it with your physical eye all the time. Isaiah 53 verse 10, it said, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. By the way, that's not just a small mark on the body. It's the idea of a crushing, pressing blow. Please the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. This passage Pinned 750 years before the crucifixion. Isaiah 53 had shown in detail what would happen with the crucifixion. And then it comes down with the explanation of why it had to happen in these verses. It pleased the Lord to bruise him, yet he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Later on, Jesus would say, except a corn of wheat fall on the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Through the process we call germination is a picture of what happens when Christ had died and when He, he gave Himself, entered into death, defeated death, and in so doing rescued those who had been slaves to death. Thank God He did. Verse 11, He shall see the travail of His soul and He shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bared the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Look at the last sentence in verse 10. The pleasure of the Lord shall do what? Prosper in His hand. Why? Why did it please the Lord to bruise Him? Not because of some kind of sadistic 
delight on God's behalf, but because a sacrifice worthy of the price of atonement had been offered. And the pleasure came in because in the suffering, Christ had provided the way for many sons to be brought to the Father. A man, mankind, that God had made in His image who had been alienated by his own sin and transgression, now there was a way made back. God did not have to, nay, He couldn't forfeit His holiness to receive sinful man in man's sinful condition. And man, in his sinful condition, could never reach the justification and the glory to come to God. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so when Christ gave Himself, the way was made that sinful man could be brought back to a loving God with no compromise on God's character and holiness. And so the pleasure of the Lord to bring the sons of Adam and open the door for them to come home, the pleasure of the Lord prospered in His hand. Sufferings of Christ. We started with this passage. For even here and too were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow His steps. Let me pray with you, church. Father, thank You for Your words. And thank You for giving them. Thank You for preserving them. Thank You for adding the power and unction of Your Spirit to them when they're preached. Help us, Lord, to walk and uh, not, to, uh, not to faint in the day of adversity. Father, You said You would give strength to those who had no strength. You said You would give might to those who had no might. We ask that of You. And Lord, ask just for strength to stand. Having done all to stand and to be a witness for You. Bless Your people tonight. May they understand Your love in a deeper way and follow You because of it, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Our invitation begins. Why don't you come tonight? Something you ought to bring to the Lord. Why don't you come on ahead? Don't wait for the first note of invitation. Why don't you come in?